Welcome to Waymaker Church Podcast. The heart of the house is that these messages would help you to encounter, live for, and advance the kingdom of God. Enjoy this week's message. We are continuing in part four of our series called Faith in a Real Life. And uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, James chapter three, verse one and two. And uh, what this particular uh, portion of scripture really zeroes in on is the extraordinary power of the tongue. And uh, I've preached about things like this before, but we're just going to dig in uh, a, a little bit deep into this. So, so far in the book of James, right, I'll just give you a little brief uh, overview. Uh, we've seen how spiritual maturity is developed through our response to suffering, along with the demonstration of works uh, that is revealed through the maturity of faith like when we respond to God's word. Right, so again, we recognize that, that going through trials, going through tribulation, dealing with things like that is part of the Christian experience. Right, it's just, it's going to happen. It comes with the territory of saying yes to him. And, uh, and, and not only that, so how we respond to that also, God uses that to be able to develop us and to mature us. And so uh, we, we've looked at that previously. The other thing is we've realized that we are not saved by works, but because we're saved, we work. Amen? Right? And so the evidence of our faith should produce an, uh, produce an outward uh, function of, of works that we do in reference to the kingdom of God. Faith is not just praying a prayer to get to heaven. Faith is getting the nature of heaven into us. And the nature of heaven in us should cause us to become like him. And last time I checked, Jesus came and he served all. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, we're going to look at how spiritual maturity is evidenced by the use of the tongue. And so uh, for a moment, before we read the passage of scripture, I want to just like pause and kind of briefly consider the power and the potential of the tongue. Right now, understand when we talk about the tongue, and, and I'm not just talking about the physical appendage that's in your mouth that can move to create words. When we talk about the tongue, we're, we're mentioning the fact that it is the, the, the part of your body that has the potential to produce speech and words. Right. And so when we're talking about the power of the tongue, we're talking about the power of our words. And so ultimately the question this morning that I want to look at is what is the potential of the tongue? And I feel like usually the natural inclination is, is to, to view it as something that is just negative, right? And that can be something, right? We know that we can cut people with our words and, and different things can happen in the negative sense. But the reality is, is there is great potential and great power in it overall with the, with the words that we use. The tongue in Proverbs 18, 20 and 21 has the power of life and death. It says this, it says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled, because death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen, the tongue can speak life to dreams and visions. The tongue can speak truth. It can prophesy. It can give words of knowledge or words of wisdom. The tongue can offer a prayer and praise to God, and yet it can simultaneously be used to do the opposite, to speak lies bring death by false accusations, right? Uh, it, it can deceive, it can manipulate, it can tear down, right? So it can do all of these things. The, the tongue also can build up or edify, right? It can tear down or destroy. It's Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. It says, there is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may part, impart grace to the hearer, right? So the tongue has the ability to pierce like a sword. It has the ability to go down into the, those deep places, right? The words that, that people speak. And how many of y'all have experienced something? Somebody said something about you. I mean, it just found its way all the way down to your heart. 
Come on, let me see your hands this morning. I want to know who I'm talking to, right? It should be just about everybody in this room. And if not, bless you. I'm thankful for that. But the reality of it is, is we understand the power of words, right? When things are spoken in a certain way, those words have an ability to pierce like a sword to those deep places of the heart. They can get down to the, the, the inner places of, uh, of, our, of our humanity, right? Whether it's the words of a parent or a close friend, that maybe they were sharp or critical. Uh, maybe they told you that you were stupid or that you would never amount to anything, right? All of those types of things can find their way like all the way down into our heart. And those things can create baselines from which people live. And so the tongue can build up, though, others through expressions of appreciation or affirmation, right? When somebody comes along and they tell you, hey, you did a great job. Or, hey, that outfit is beautiful. Or, man, I see the change that's happening in your life, and it's just awesome. Right? Words have the power to build up, and, and we like those, right? Or maybe it's a coach, right? You play in a sport, or you're on a team, or it's your boss or your oversight, right? And in all these moments, right, they, they speak something. Hey, I saw the work that you put in yesterday and, and the time that you spent, and, man, that, that was great. A fantastic job on that assignment that I gave you. I love that, right? And that encourages you and produces life in you. Right, the coach to a child just saying, hey, I saw that effort, come on, way to go. Right, and they, they did something. Maybe they had a skill they've never done before and, and, uh, and they, now they accomplished it. And, or maybe there were certain things that they were failing to learn or they hadn't triumphed in yet and, and they overcome whatever the obstacle was and those words of affirmation can bring great encouragement into their life. Right, it's just that proverbial nod to the things that have you know, done well or achieved and, and giving encouragement also for the future things that somebody will do. But we also know that the tongue can be used to destroy and, and to tear down through belittling, right? Character assassination, talking about people, backbiting, just sowing strife, uh, or being critical. Another thing the tongue can be used for is, is for blessing, right? Or it can be used for cursing. James 3.10, which we'll look at more in a moment, says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. cursing. He says, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And finally, some of the potential of the tongue is that it can be used to teach, to correct, to equip, to train, or it can be used to deceive, manipulate, and lead people astray. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. So the tongue in and of itself and, and the ability to, to speak, there's, it's like a two-edged sword. I mean, you have, you have such great, vast, amazing potential. And yet simultaneously, you have the, the ability to, to bring great destruction. And that's what James is talking about in, in James chapter 3. And so we're just simply going to be looking at just the contrast of the effect and the ability of the tongue. And this is the great question of today, is who is in control of it? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Is it the renewed mind or is it the unrenewed mind? I told him myself... Uh, this last week, my daughter was learning how to drive. I'm not going to say what I said today because I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Our dream team got to hear it before service. And if you were in class on Wednesday, you know because you were there. Um, she's been learning how to drive, getting the hours for all the parents. We've also had to do that. Bless you as well. You survived. Um, but, uh, but in that, though, we had a, a lady pull out in front of us, just didn't stop at a stop sign, pulled all the way out in front of us and was coming head on towards us in a place that had more than enough room for her to be on her side where she's supposed to be. And uh, I filtered about 98% of what came into my head to say. And at the very end, one thing slipped out. It was not profanity. I just want you to know, you know, I'm just going to out myself. I just randomly shouted fat lard. I don't know her. I couldn't see her. <laughs> this is why we don't have Waymaker car stickers, y'all. I'm telling you right now. 
I need the Lord to change my life. I'm working on it. It was really, 98% was filtered, but that 2%, I just shouted fat lard. And I, and I like my daughter, Lily, she was like, did you just say fat lard? I was like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> so I've already preached this message. This will be the seventh time that I've heard it because I preached it six times in this room already on Thursday. And so I've already been convicted like six times. Today's going to be my seventh go around. So just in case you're wondering, you get convicted for the first time. This is my seventh. So whatever, you got a little ways to go. Um, but let's go and jump into the word. And, uh, but you can see that sometimes just the things that are in our speech and the unrenewed mind, like you can just have moments where there's a fit of carnality and you say things or you do things and you're just thinking, where did that even come from? And, and so that's the thing that we're going to try to zero in on today. And I will let you know, this is going to be a lifelong process, at least in my life. I'm praying that the Lord delivers me. So go ahead and look at the book of James chapter three. We're going to read the 12 verses there, and then we're going to jump into it. So James chapter three, starting in verse one says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment for we all stumble, uh, stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. It says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is also set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of, of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father, uh, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so." Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. So James begins, and we're going to just briefly talk about this. James begins by issuing wise counsel to those that aspire to be teachers. And so if you're a teacher in the room or you're aspiring to teach, let me speak to you for a moment. He says in three, James 3, 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now for a moment, let's talk about that. Why should this be, right? Why should those who teach or those who desire to teach be judged more harshly, basically, in the end? This is why. Because those who teach should be conscious of the weight and the potential of influence of what they say. Right? Because words lie at the heart of, of teaching and preaching ministry, Right? And so if you aspire to be a teacher, it's, we have to be mindful because the potential for multiplication of influence requires a teacher to understand the measure of both responsibility and opportunity. When you teach God's word, when you're speaking into the life of another, you have great potential. There is great opportunity to be able to see lives changed and transformed. And, and it's, just, it's a beautiful thing. But what we have to understand is that at the end of the day, that the influence that you're given you're held to account for. And so he's just simply saying, you know, pay attention to that. He's basically telling us that we have to have a principle and a pattern of judgment concerning the righteous word of God. Teachers have to understand that the greater accountability and condemnation that follows if we teach incorrectly. 
So one of the things that I talk to our staff about very often in the, in the office is reminding them, hey, listen, do you realize that people are basing their eternity off of what you say? There is a weight to that. I understand when I stand here, I'm standing before you as a man of God to try to preach the word in truth, that I am to study this to the best of my ability to gain understanding and insight, to seek the Lord and speak his word and not my opinion to you. I have a lot of opinions on things. Just ask my wife. Ask my children too, for that matter. They'd be like, man, right? There's not a lesson. There's not a day go by. There's not some random lesson about something, you know, like it's just what it is. But the thing is, is we have to recognize and understand that for those who are teaching, there is a a multiplied effect of your words. But even beyond that, the greater accountability and condemnation that follows if we teach uh, uh, incorrectly, because at the end of the day, God is not going to hold teachers guiltless. That's why he says not many of you should presume to be teachers, but if God has called you to it, you just simply need to walk after it soberly, reverently, and in the fear of the Lord. Because God calls people to teach. God calls people to preach. God calls people to instruct others. Just don't go in it half-heartedly. Make sure that you go in there prayed up, studied up. You're in the word and your life matches what you say. Because another dimension with influence is speech versus lifestyle. See, not only is there an elevated responsibility of to, for those to, to teach, but, but they are to model what they teach. They are to model what it looks like to serve Jesus well. And, uh, and there's a lot of times that uh, the, the word says, that, uh, they, not the word, but the people say that we connect, we lead people through our strengths, we connect to people through our weaknesses. The reason why I out myself so often is I don't want you to have a perception of me that isn't true. Like, I am a man who needs Jesus desperately. I just told you I called somebody a fat lard while driving the other day. It was so dumb. But the reason I share that with you is so that you understand that we all have need of being changed into the image of his glory. Amen? We all have need of just uh, of Jesus coming and renewing our mind and, and the, those weak spaces are revealed. And so I say something like that and it makes you laugh. But at the same time, I want you to understand that I'm on the same journey that you're on. Reading the same word that you're reading, serving the same God that you're supposed to be serving. Amen? And so we all have to change. We all have to surrender and lay down our lives and, and, and work through those things of the flesh. Because when you're a teacher, especially, your lifestyle, what you do, is either going to lead people to Jesus or away. And so if we talk one way and we live another, we'll deceive people. Romans chapter 2 verse 21 says this. He says, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that man should not steal, do you steal? Right, so the emphasis of the scripture is that teachers must be careful to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Because talk without walk leads to deception. And so we have to be mindful not to gain, especially for those that are teaching, you got to be mindful not to gain knowledge through study and then fail to put it into practice. Right, the Christian life and teaching is not about just gaining and acquiring knowledge so that we can wow people with our words. The the instruction that we gain, the knowledge that we gain is so that we would know him better to step into personal encounter with him so that when we live uh, vertically first, we now have authority and power when we live this way. Amen? The apostle Paul actually said that, that he said that his speech and his preaching would not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, that their faith would not rest in the words of men, but in the power of God. 
Right? So when you're teaching, when you're giving uh, instruction, the whole idea is to be in such a relationship with Jesus, to study the word, to live in relationship with him, to have an anointing on your life that, that even though you're being held accountable, you're, you're a worthy servant that is, is making sure to live out what you say you believe. And even if you stumble, because we're going to read here in a second, we all stumble. But even if you stumble, you stay on track with the Lord. You repent of it, you change it, and you move on. Because there is an extra accountability on your life to be able to teach others. So we have to be mindful not to gain knowledge through study and fail to put it into practice. Because this is what the scribes and Pharisees did. And we've read the Gospels and see how that turned out for them. And so a final aspect in teaching, and then we're going to shift to the the untamable tongue uh, for the rest of the message. But a final aspect on teaching is that we have to be mindful not to allow ourselves to get caught up in a place of judgment over people's lives. God may have given you the ability to perceive, to have wisdom, and to have knowledge that does not give you a right to become the judge over any individual in God's house. There is only one to whom they will give an account in the end. Now, our responsibility is to shepherd. Now, here's the thing. What you need to understand about shepherding is is there is times or there are times when shepherds have to bring correction. But there is a right way to bring correction. Sometimes it may just simply be in a message and the Holy Spirit convicts our heart and corrects an attitude, behavior, whatever. Maybe there's some things where we're going astray. If there is an area of life, and, and let's say that I, I know you enough to be able to have enough relationship with you, and I see some things that are getting off, my responsibility before the Lord is to kindly come to you, pull you aside, and say, hey, what's going on? You are called to this. We're doing this. What's happening? Because I recognize that in life, there's just things that are going on, right? There's things and issues that we face. And so it's important to, to realize that that's going to happen, right? We're going to have the potential to instruct, but ultimately, for all of us, we're going to stumble. James 3.2 reminds us of that. For we stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole tongue. And so ultimately, those who teach are expected to model a life of faith, and rightfully so. But we have to understand that ultimately, Jesus is our model. He's what we're all running after. I'm not trying to create you in my image. Because then we'll all be driving around calling people names. Oh, conviction for the seventh time. It's rough. But here's the thing. Ultimately, teachers have to be sensitive and responsive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Godly leaders and teachers are not to be arrogant or prideful. And they should walk in sensitivity to the Spirit, in humility, meekness, and the fear of the Lord. Right? So he begins with the effect, the multiplied effect of the tongue and the aspect of teaching. But now he goes on, and after this initial instruction, he really begins to zero in on the tongue itself. And so uh, there are three objects to illustrate the effect of the tongue that he uses. The first is a bit in a horse's mouth. The second is a rudder on a ship. And the third is a little fire. And we're just going to break those down. So the first one is a bit in the horse's mouth. James 3.3 says, Indeed, we put bits in a horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Now, I want you for a moment to consider the imagery of the horse. Right? They, I mean, they are powerful animals. Right? They are capable of, of just amazing things, many things. And yet he is saying this tiny piece of metal that is stuck in their mouth has the ability to turn them wherever you want them to go. All of that power, all of that potential, all of that capacity is limited by the bit that's in their mouth. And so he says the words of our mouth are like a bridle in the mouth of the horse, right? And and like the bit leading the horse in a specific direction, our words 
are leading us in a direction to a destination. But the greatest question of the illustration is who is holding the reins? Who's holding the reins? Psalm 32, 9 says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle or else they will not come near you. You see, we have to understand that if we're like the horse, if we lack understanding, the words of our mouth will become a snare to our life, leading us to places that we don't want to go. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that before. My mouth has gotten me in so much trouble in my life. Golly, my daughter laugh on the front row. She's like, <laughs> listen, from when I was a kid before they discovered America, God. every six weeks, my report card, very back in the 90s though, when they actually like cared about your behavior and like they would like grade you on it and stuff. And there was one line that says needs to control talking. And you either got like an Eve, excellent. I never got an E. I'll tell you that right now. If there was an end, does anybody remember what that stood for? So about every six weeks, I would get whooped at my house, right? I didn't care what my grades were. I always carried what that column said. I'm like, what does that one say? And I would just be like, because like, it was in a slip. Like, you'd pull it out. It was like, a, it was like they're revealing a con contestant winner, you know. And they'd be like, yeah, the coast too. You're just like, oh, I'm getting whooped today. Like, every time. Now, my dad didn't realize I was going to be a preacher, and so God was going to use the abundance of my words to minister to people. But obviously, I need to be brought into discipline at that time. That's, it hurt. And so it led me to places I didn't want to go, which was my room where I could hear the sound of this particular wooden drawer in our kitchen that when it opened, there was one thing in there. Do y'all remember what we also used back in the 90s? Paddles. Oh, my goodness. My dad was a contractor. He had one carved out of a two-by-four. Edges were routed and stuff, so it was a little smoother, you know, a little fancy and everything because he got to do it his way. But like, man, no, it didn't have holes, but it didn't need to because he was a strong man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so it just, ow, I'm sorry, I'm reliving my childhood right now and it was painful a little bit here and there, but I deserved it. And so what I realized is words lead you to places that you don't want to go. Mine was that specific drawer. Just, you're like, it's coming. You start crying before they get in there. Do you remember what your parents also told you in the 90s too? I'll give you something to cry about. Come on, whatever. Now they're just like, did that hurt your feelings? Sorry, here's your tablet and some squishmallows. Lay on those. Sorry. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have gone there. Discipline is good. Put the Play-Doh on the crowns away. You'll be all right. All right. Anyway, I got I to move on got to move on. We're supposed to build up and not tear down. First Peter chapter three, verse 10 says, for he who would love life and see good days, Lord, help me. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, right? So like a bit in the, uh, the mouth of a horse is like the words in our mouth leading us to different places. The second is a rudder on a ship. James chapter three, four. He says, look, look also at ships. All of they are so large and driven by fierce winds. It says they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And so the second example of a rudder on a ship, once again, illustrates the power of what seems small or insignificant, right? And so though a rudder is small in comparison to the size of the ship, what's crazy is that it has the, the capacity, and it's also small in comparison to the fierceness of the wind, right? Like just the last two days, and of course today we're supposed to have wind all day again, right? We've had 30 to 40 mile an hour sustained gusts, and the, and the, and the main gusts are up to about 65, Right, all the dust is blowing, and you stop and you think about the power of that wind and this mighty sail 
and it's a little tiny rudder that steers the ship. Wherever the pilot desires to go, whatever way he wants to go, this way or that, all he does is he just turns a little wheel, and that rudder underneath directs the, the direction of that, of that ship. And so the emphasis, again, of the rudder question, much like the bit, is who is the pilot or captain steering the ship? And what has captivated my heart, again, as I was preaching this message to myself, really what captivated my heart in both examples is so far as that the capacity of the horse and the ship, right, it's so vast. They have so much potential. Again, you think of the ship, how many people could it carry? Right? How many souls could be on board? How much cargo could it carry? What precious resources could it take from one place to the other in transportation? Even the horse, right, with its advantage in transportation, right, with the power to be able to do farming and, and all of the things that would have happened in that time frame as they're using this. And you think about the, just the overarching potential of what those things could do. And now you think about it in the context of people. We have an unlimited potential to do great things. But the word's actually telling us that our speech and our mouth can turn away the vastness of our potential. Y'all, we need to get that this morning. That the emphasis of your life has great potential. There are a lot of things that God can use us for. But often what we find out is it's not that we don't have the skills. We am disqualified because of this thing. We don't want to be disqualified by the words of our mouth. And so ultimately what we have to do is to learn to bring the thing into, sub, into subjection to the word. The third example he gave is a little fire. James chapter 3 verse 5 says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. It says, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Now we know that a small fire can destroy an entire forest. Right? I mean we've seen stuff even here recently in our area. That, that one, one spark, all it takes is one uncontrolled spark can, can destroy an entire force. But here's the thing, so it is with the tongue. A sharp word, a loose sentence, a callous or a sharp response can set on course a large blaze of destruction that has great difficulty being extinguished. Proverbs 26, 20 says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. The wood to the fire is the words of our mouth. If it's talking about somebody being a, a, a tailbearer, what that word is, it's talking about someone who likes to gossip behind the scenes, to talk about people, to talk about this situation. Oh, did you see them today? I can't even believe that they did that. Did you see what she was wearing at church today? She looked hideous. But you guys all know that there are people that are the rumor mill at work, Right? be the rumor mill at school. And the thing is, is, is those words add fuel to the fire. Those words have power. Listen, like the words of our mouth are both the spark and the fuel for many problems. Listen, lies spark an erosion of trust. Perverted speech sparks perversion in your life. Profanity leads to the profane. Sarcasm and insults linger in the hearts of others, causing destruction. Slander speaks with a critical intent to hurt. Flattery and flirty speech sparks the desires that lead to sexual sin. Gossip sparks the destruction of friendships and relationships, while grumbling and complaining spark doubt and unbelief. Our words have great power. And so here's the thing, the tongue, though small in stature, can cause disproportionate destruction. When you think about it in size and reference, and, and, and our mouths are not that big, in reference to the entirety of the body, but they can cause a disproportionate destruction 
in the lives of people. And like a bit in the horse's mouth or, or a rudder on a ship, our words are going to steal, uh, steer our life. I mean, James even goes on to, to further describe the tongue as a world of iniquity. And Proverbs 10, 19 affirms this. It says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. He says it's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Romans 3, 13 affirms that as well. He says that their throat is an open tomb, and with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Now here's the thing. The poison that it references is the duality of its use. The poison that's in the tongue is the fact that with one breath we bless God and the other breath we curse men. That's the poison. Because God wants a singleness ultimately of, of what it is. And, and, and so to curse men means to invoke divine harm or evil on someone or something. And so just like we've talked about in so many other areas, this is another one of those things where, where God wants us to, to narrow that gap so we can live in a singular mindset towards life. But what I know, because the scripture tells us that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, here's the thing. We're going to end the message with this. Why is it so challenging? And what is the root issue of the tongue? James tells us that the tongue is set on fire by hell. What does he mean by that? Once again, like many of my other messages, I'm going to bring it right back to the unrenewed mind. It's the unrenewed mind. It's the flesh in action. Because the picture of the bit in the horse's mouth... Breeds the question, who's holding the reins? The rudder steering the ship. The question is, is who is standing at the helm? See, the power of James' revelation is to understand who is in control. Who is it that's leading our lives? Because our speech gives evidence to who is holding the reins and steering the ship. It's not just that I prayed a prayer once to get to heaven. This thing right here reveals what's in here. The words of our mouth declare the abundance of our heart. And James said, no man can tame the tongue, right? It's a world of iniquity full of deadly poison. And hearing that, even in the moment, hearing that can, can cause us to assume then that like the task to guard our speech is impossible, like it's a losing battle. And James is right in his statement that no man can tame the tongue. But do you know who can? The Holy Spirit. No man can tame the tongue. In and of ourselves, listen, that's why he tells us it's, it's a world of iniquity. That's why I shouted something stupid at somebody I didn't know because they swerved into our lane and I got scared because I wasn't driving. Right? And so these moments where we have this duality of use in our tongue and, and there's all these things that are happening. Listen, at the end of the day, no man can tame the tongue. But do you know who can? The Holy Spirit. I'm getting better because about 98% of what came into my head, I was able to filter. And do you know who the filter was? Holy Spirit. Because there were certain things that were about to come in my mouth and he goes, hey, 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 be quiet. And then Pellhorn came out. I was like... Come on, man. It's terrible. And so here's the thing is, is how do we then have the, the effect of the word in our life? Right? James is telling us to, to, to have the word of God in us and to be able to do what it says and not be a hearer only. When we renew our mind with the word of God, it will change our speech. And again, I believe this is something we're going to have to run, off on, uh, run after the entirety of our lives. But I do believe that it's possible. I believe that it's possible for the Holy Spirit to help us to tame the tongue. 
if we'll just simply let him go to work in our life. Because I've shared many times that the issues that Jesus came to address, they are the issues of the heart. The tongue is no different. Because the tongue simply carries into the world the breath that issues from the heart by verbally projecting the thoughts and the intents of what's inside. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so when it comes to this area, our greatest need in the area of speech is submission to the Lord. And again, because if it's just about praying a prayer to get to heaven, we want to get to heaven. But the thing is, is we need his lordship now. And if we can take in the area of our speech, like so many other areas of our life, and we can learn to submit to his lordship, learn to submit to his rule and reign, and realizing that I shouldn't always get to say what I want. But if I can learn how to fill my heart and my mind with the word of God, it's going to change the way that I speak because where the mind goes, the man follows. When I put the word in my heart, that means that in the tough situations, if it's out of the abundance of the heart, uh, out of the abundance of my heart that my mouth is going to speak, whatever I put in in abundance is what's going to come out. The revelation for me personally and that drive that day is I still have a little bit of mixture in there that I need to work on. Now, I don't have to be condemned by the fact that I failed. I felt dumb. And the Lord convicted my heart, so I repented of it. But what it did was it put a further fire in me to say, you know what? There's still areas of my life, Lord, that are not pleasing to you. Help me. I didn't try to change it all that day. I just simply surrendered to the best that I knew how to repent of my sin and to turn back to the Lord and to ask him to have his way in my life. And that's, that's, that's really all that this is about. We need to submit our lives to the Lord. And I realize, okay, I need to spend more time in the word. I need to look deeper, have the Holy Spirit look deeper in those things in my heart. Why is that still on my lips? Why is that stuff still rise up on the inside of me? It's just an area of the unrenewed mind that still needs to be addressed. But what I love is that he is good and he is faithful and he is willing to address it. Amen? And not only is he willing, he's not just, when I talk about him addressing it, it's not just him turning the light on going, hey man, I see that. No, it's him through the word equipping you to change. And again, I'm not talking about just behavior modification and just trying not to do things wrong. This is that process of sanctification that we've been talking about. Like these are those areas that he speaks to when he says, hey, you know, just like he talks about in, in James chapter one with trials, he's like, hey, just want to let you know. It's what he talks about when it comes to, to beware of personal favoritism. It's what he's talking about when he says faith without works is dead. These are all part of that sanctification process where he's molding us and shaping us and changing us into the image of his son. Amen? Because Christianity is not just about going to church and checking the box. Christianity is about knowing him and being known by him. And when I know him and I am known by him, it changes everything. Where the old man, we did baptism a second ago, where the old man is put to death and the new man is raised to life. It's not just a thing that we do. It's supposed to be a reality of the Christian life. Where we die to ourselves and we're raised to new life. Amen? Amen. And so our answer in this, how do we do this? How do we tame the tongue? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit and filling our hearts with the word of God. When our hearts are filled with the word, we can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
And it allows him to temper, again, with the word, it allows him to temper the various areas of our heart. Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. And so what I simply believe is that mastery over the tongue is possible if we'll just simply get the word in our heart and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Because the tongue has great power. The tongue has great authority. There's so much potential for good and likewise for destruction. And my simple desire is, what could it look like if we had a body of believers that understood this and used it to edify, build up, instruct, and encourage one another? How much different could life be if you had a bunch of people that were filled with the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, that when they got to work, there's an overflow of that instead of complaining about the boss. There's an overflow of that instead of complaining about the workload. How do you not know that the Holy Spirit won't speak to you and cause you to become such a pivotal piece in that office that your influence expands and grows and you get to do all kinds of things you never thought were possible? All of it can simply come back to the words of our mouth. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Waymaker Podcast. To simply connect, or if this message ministered to you and you would like to support the ministry, you can simply go to waymakerchurch.org.